0: Hey, it's Gaz here from Gaz on the Go. Getting there with Gaz. We talk fantasy and, of course, Levac Gaz. My lot Gaz of the Media podcast. You're listening to one right now. The best thing we can ask for you to do is to remember to download, subscribe, rate, or review to your favorite Gaz and the Media podcast. If you're listening on Apple right now, you see the comments, leave a comment. It means a lot to us. A review as well for your favorite podcast. So we appreciate you doing that. And the other big thing we ask of you. So support our sponsors, the great people that make the Godzilla Media Podcast happen, like the one you're listening to right now, one of those great people, great businesses. Johnstone Supply in Troy. Right there on 6th Avenue in Troy, and if you're like me and you're not great with directions, it's right near that famous barbecue place in Troy. Johnstone Supply, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, you're looking to upgrade in your home, the place to call is Johnstone Supply in Troy, 518 272 Fujitsu ductless splits, energy-saving, ultra-low temperature models. How about operating as low as negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit? And now Johnstone Supply is carrying the J-Series VRF systems. We're talking even more efficiency and even more flexibility for your home. This is the stuff you got to grab now. If you're looking for more of that more basic efficient option, also cost-efficient, which you're really looking forward to. The Westinghouse, also made by Fujitsu, is there at Johnstone Supply in Troy for you. When you stop in, say hello to our guy Tom, and maybe it's James, Kevin, Rob, whoever it might be. Check out their website now, johnstonesupply.com. We're talking about upgrading your home. It means so much to you. Do it the right way. Johnstone Supply in Troy. Call them today again one more time, 518-272-5922 proud partners of this Godzilla Media Podcast, and also Techies Fire and Water Restoration, your best way back to normal, tefirewater.com, if you're looking to find ways to upgrade your home, we're talking about mold damage, heat, fire, whatever it might be, I guess heat and fire are the same thing, but mold damage, water damage is what I was looking for, they'll do it all for you over at Techies Fire and Water Restoration, Mike Corden and his team helping you get back to normal. Make sure to remember that when things go wrong. Save your information on your phone. Techies Fire and Water Restoration helping LeVac and Goss take over this summer. Going live on location a bunch of different spots. But you may have heard the news. My pal LeVac has recently been named the team president of the Albany Empire in its playoff season. So go out and support the Albany Empire August 7th and August 14th. Two home games inside the Times Union Center. I've already jumped a gun. Semis and finals. That's how confident I feel in this Albany Empire team. But go out and support Tech East Fire and Water Restoration. Your best way back to normal. TeFireWater.com. Now, on to this week's episode of Getting There With Gaz. Getting
1: There With Gaz. Getting There With Gaz. Getting There With
0: Another edition here of Getting There with Guys, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, media members, and more. You know the name. You know the voice if you're a Central New York and Syracuse sports fan. He is the man-child, Jim Lurch. The man-child is joining us now. I'm going to call him man-child throughout the interview because that's how everybody knows him. But we got to start at the beginning. A younger man-child. Dare I say a child-child. Six, seven, eight years old. Tell us where you grew up, what did you want to be as a kid, and was it your same dream job when you were 18?
1: Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, well, I grew up in Queens. Queens Village is my hometown, and uh, my family lived in that house in Queens Village, bought it literally six months before I was born uh on 219th street in good old queens village and uh that's where i spent my my childhood and really up until gosh until i was in my mid 20s uh almost so long time living in living in that house uh, shared a bunk bed with my brother and my two sisters were literally not even in the adjourning room because what we did is we took a bedroom, we put a wall, a half wall, or you know went to the ceiling, but it you know had a doorway. And we, so we took a room, split it into two rooms, and they had a bunk bed on one side of the wall. We had a bunk bed on the other side of the wall, and there was no door between us. It was just a doorway, so it was a pretty uh, tight quarters between the the four of us all essentially in one bedroom in a house in good old Queens Village. So uh, that's where I that's where I grew up. Uh, And it was a typical Queens neighborhood. You know, you go knock on your buddy's door, played stickball in the streets, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I think maybe you could say in a lot of ways that, you know, my love of sports, my passion for sports, not only watching it, but playing it was birthed uh, on those streets of Queens where we used to play stickball in the streets and go, go down to the schoolyard to play a little stickball. Um, we would, uh, you know, just, uh, make believe when we were playing our stickball games, you know, I've been a diehard Met fan, diehard Giants fan, as you can see on my yeah. shirt here. So I got those New York sports running through my veins. And so, you know, back then I was, uh, you know, at the plate, I was Tommy Agee. I was Cleon Jones. I was Ron Swoboda. Uh, those were the guys that I was at the plate, Willie Stargell of the pirates and twirling that bat, you know, all those kinds of things, you know, kind of, that kind of was coursing through my veins, uh, as I was playing sports as a youngster. Uh, and then, uh, being around my dad who watched a lot of sports, who, who loved the, the same teams that I love. Uh, I started watching sports. I started, uh, Honey, you are in the background of this picture that we are shooting right now. It's wash. okay. I think
0: it's what hilarious.
1: It? What are you doing? I told you this was a video and you're going to fold wash in the background. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. We can no, edit that out. Where was I? Uh. I'm just looking, I just looked down to the camera. I looked away from the camera for a second, down into the video screen. I'm like, what is she doing back there?
0: I am to leave it in. It's so funny, it's hilarious.
1: But <laughs> uh, anyways,
0: you were okay. talking about uh what's your your favorite sports? Like your dad taught you how to get become a sports yeah, fan. So
1: so my dad was my dad was a big watcher of sports. Uh and so he was a Met fan, a Giants fan, and he used to have his buddies come over to the house. And then what I did is I started to kind of want to buddy up with my dad. You know, he would watch sports. I liked sports, so I started watching sports, and then I would sit in in front of the tv and like so many young sportscasters you know i just would start calling the game and i'd be like i right, had 2 two count here on cleon jones as he steps into the box mets down two, you know and i was lindsey nelson you know i was bob murphy i was ralph kiner on the color i mean i played all of the roles and uh you know my dad's friends used to get a kick out of it they used to kind of mess around with me and make fun of me but it didn't it didn't deter me from wanting to do that, you know, I think I've always said this about getting into media and doing some of the things that I've had the pleasure of doing over the years. And that is that I've always kind of had the performance bug that when the light turns on something special happens. And I kind of, maybe it's like an out of body experience a little bit for me, but it just kind of comes out of me. And so it was coming out of me as a young child, but I can tell you, it wasn't a very straightforward route for me, guys. I really I had a long and arduous journey to get back to sports later in my life, and we can kind of walk through that road a little bit if you want.
0: Yes, that's what it's all about, getting there with Gaz. I knew right when I booked you for this, you were one of my favorite people. And I say that, every was, was like, you say that, for everybody. No, no. I know Manchild's story, and trust me, it is not conventional in any way. So let's do that. You're 18 years old. Uh, it's time to graduate high school. Most of the time in these interviews, I talk about where you're going to go to college and the broadcasting schools and everything else. But this is kind of part one of why the man child nickname comes because it is not sports you pursue post high school correct
1: no it's not I what I ended up doing uh, even though I was a good student in high school and was looking forward to doing the college is I went into the work world uh, you know the family uh, could use the bucks uh, I needed the bucks you know so it, it wasn't a, a really uh, you know a lavish upbringing and so you know money was somewhat important at that point so even though I had desires to go to college and knew that I could be successful in college I didn't end up going to college, I went into the work world. And of all the places to land, I was very good in both math and science as a a young student, particularly math, uh, that I decided to go the math route. And I land in an accounts payable department uh, at a defense contractor uh, as an accountant, essentially, a bean counter, counting, paying invoices and counting up numbers and adding lots of things. Uh, And so I, I landed in that job and i stayed in that job for a number of years i want to say about 7 years uh, that i hung in that career was making money i had my own car i mean life was kind of good for the man child considering where i was as a child and where i was at that point really developing some independence uh, getting out into the real world and just kind of the experience so you know what a 9 to 5 job is all about so That's kind of where I headed. And so that thing of sports, that was gone. I mean, that was just watching Met games at this point and, you know, and just enjoying going to a few Met games a year. And that's where I kind of got my sports fix. But, you know, I was in the real world. I had a real job at that point.
0: Yeah, it's a hobby. It's not a profession. It's not a career. So you're in your mid 20s. Life is good. You've got a car. You're doing your thing. You got money in your pocket. What changes? (laughs) Well, what
1: changes is I think that we all, I think as human beings, would love to gravitate to our passions, right? We'd love to find what it is, that one thing that we love to do, and then do it. And make money doing it. You know, it's a lot of fun when you can get to that place. And not everybody is lucky enough to do that, you know, to get to do the one thing that they love to do. And so, you know, I was going to that accounting job every day. And, you know, I was giving them an honest day's work, you know, from 9 to 5. But I wasn't getting up in the morning wanting to go. And I certainly was waiting for that day. Five o'clock to ring so that I could, you know, just head on off to my next distraction, you know. Uh, and so, as that started to happen more and more often, and I was getting that feeling inside that maybe I just wasn't on the right path anymore. So, even though I had some nice things in my life, the path just wasn't feeling right. And so, I kind of, you know, talked to my parents, talked to people close to me, and said, you know, I, I think I got to change, I got to make a change here. And so, uh, my mom always had wanted me to go to college and I think was very disappointed that I didn't go to college right away. So, uh, you know, she was a big, big piece of this and she said, you know, why don't you go to college? You can still go to college. And I was like, I guess I could. So I did it the slow path. I actually took one course at night just to test it. Um, I, I, I was asking around, okay, if I'm going to go back to college, what am I going to go back to college for? And so I started asking friends of mine, you know, like, what do I love to do? What would I love to do every day? And every single one of them came back with me the same answer. Uh, Sports, uh, (laughs) calling games. you like, because I was that guy that even though I was no longer in front of the TV set as a little kid from my dad, you know, pretending to be Lindsay Nelson, when I was out, say, bowling with my buddies, I'd be like, all right, here's uh, Mike Foley. My best buddy here on the lane needs a strike here to win the match. You know, like I would just do that stuff. It was just <laughs> weird, I guess, but it was just being myself. And I think that my friends kind of knew what my passion was and it was right in front of me. I didn't really know it. And so they said sports, man, go back, go back to school to be a sportscaster. And I was like. I don't even know how to do that. They have schools for that, you know. <laughs> and so you can take communications courses in college and take TV and radio and that all kinds of lead that all kind of leads down that Primrose path. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. So I took one course at night the next semester after that and did well. The next semester I took two courses at night, did really well in those two courses, did them both at a community college, kept my full-time job while I was doing that. And then finally Got an opportunity to leave my job and get paid for a year because they were taking voluntary layoffs. And I went back to college full time. And that's when I really dug in. And then I got involved in the student newspaper. I got involved in the student radio station. I started creating content on my own uh, back when that wasn't even the thing, creating content. That's like a modern day thing now, right? Uh, So, yeah, I just started creating content and, and delivering content. And I just loved it. And then I knew. And then I was like, okay, this is going to go from two year school to four year school. I end up at Syracuse University, uh, get involved at WAER, the big student station there where Bob Costas and Marv Albert and all my heroes, you know, went to, and, uh, you know, that kind of bubbled into, you know, what turned out to be a career here in central New York.
0: Yeah, and that WAER, the path we usually hear from fellow Syracuse alums like yourself, we hear about that moment where you show up and everybody there is a sports fan. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be in the next contest and Marv Albert and all these other guys who've gone on to have great success and women as well. And usually they talk about a bunch of teenagers who show up who don't know what they're doing. But tell us, isn't this <laughs> where the nickname <laughs> comes? Like, it this is how the guy. nickname Okay, comes. so take us through it.
1: This is interesting. I I just had on my radio show last week, one of my buddies, he was actually the sports director at W A A R at the time when I acquired the nickname. And my co-host on my radio show asked him about acquiring the nickname. Had this happened? Is the story he's given us the right story? So on and so forth. And he backed me up 100%. Was it Carter Blackburn? No, it was not Carter Blackburn. Okay. John Bloom was the okay. guy who I interviewed. He covers the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, uh, they're in the NBA finals right now. So John came on the show to talk Phoenix Suns. And of course, we reminisced about the good old <laughs> days at WAER. But John was a guy who gave me, really gave me my break in college because WAER was all seniority based. And John took a chance on me because, remember, I went to two-year college and then came to Syracuse to get my bachelor's degree. So I was coming in as a junior transfer. And at WAER, you got to work your way up the ladder. So I had a lot of experience. As I told you, I was working at the student newspaper. I was doing my own radio stuff. I created a sp- sports show on the radio in junior college. So I was doing content already, and I felt like I was ready for the next step. But I was thwarted by a lot of guys at WAER and John... I just said to John, just give me an honest crack. You know, I, I know that I don't have seniority on these other guys that have been here for two years, but I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, and I'm more ready than they are. And don't forget, I'm 10 years older than most of these guys. So, <laughs> you know, I bring a little more to the table, a different thing to the table. Maybe more is not fair, but I bring something different to the table. And wouldn't you love to have that on your staff? Wouldn't that be cool to have somebody with a different perspective? So I just sold John as much as I could, and John bought it. Thank God. Uh, and so <laughs> he gave me my break, and, and I was able. To, to do play by play for lacrosse, football, and for basketball under John's leadership. And inevitably, before I left WAR, was offered the sports director position, the, the most prestigious spot. And I actually turned it down. We can go through that story if you want, but it, it was a fascinating ride to think that a guy who transferred in, who most people were saying, you're never going to even be on the staff. You're never going to call a game. You're in the game too late. You know, it's not going to happen. And let me tell you something that did not sit well with me because I came to Syracuse University. To do all those things. And I had people basically saying, Oh no, that dream of yours, you can put that on the back burner. You're too late to the party. And I just refused to accept that. I was like, baloney, I'm too late to the party. I'm going to crash down that door. I'm going to knock down that door, and you're not going to stop me. And thank God, John was the guy who gave me my break. So
0: I'm uh, still getting chills from hearing that. I've heard that story a few times because we've worked together. And especially now when we're taping this in the summer of 2021, where there are so many more people, maybe than ever before, who are going to follow your path and say, You know what? My life has changed post COVID. Yeah. I want to do something different. I want to follow That's my cool. passion. I don't care what age I am. I'm going to do exactly what Manchild did and I'm going to go after it and have that same type of passion that he did. Now, you said yeah. you turned down that opportunity to be the sports director. Is it because you're offered a professional job at the next That's level? Correct. Okay. Yeah, what I is was- that job?
1: Well, basically what happened is I, I was—I ended up being at Syracuse for five semesters, so two and a half years, really, to finish my studies. You know, sometimes when you transfer out of junior college, they don't accept all your credits, and so you lose a few. And so that was okay with me, you know, hanging around for an extra semester. If I had taken the sports director job, I would have had to stick around for an extra year. So I would have gotten out of school six months later. Uh, I would have, uh, you know, had to just kind of take a couple of courses, you know, pay more money. I don't know. And I was, I wanted to get out and get into the professional world. And I already was at that time, just around the time that, you know, December was rolling around that fifth semester. I was already starting to do some professional work for the Syracuse crunch and I wasn't getting paid a lot of money, but it was professional. I was getting paid for doing sports and that's professional. I don't care what anyone says to you out there, folks. If you're getting paid for what you're doing, you're a pro. Now start putting on that pro hat and trying to figure out how to make more money out of it, how to, how to double down and get something else out of it, how to make your role, expand your role, make your role more important. So certainly I believed all those things. And so that was one of a number of reasons why I didn't take the sports director job. Something that I still probably have a teeny tiny bit of regret about just because of the prestige and the fact that I would have been, I think, the first ever transfer student to be offered the sports director job. That was kind of cool, you know, and to turn it down, nobody turns that job down you know, everybody applies for it to try to get it because you get to decide who does what games. I mean, you're like totally in control of the sports department. I mean, a student, you know, in that department says, you're doing that game, you're not doing that game. You're going on that trip, you're not doing on that trip. So I could have, you know, I could have done all the big games. I could have, you know, had all the good trips. I could have picked and choose, you know, what I got to do. I didn't didn't take that road. Uh, I have some minimal regrets about it, but I really believe that getting into the professional world was much much more important. Just to go back and answer your question about how I got the nickname because I didn't really answer yes. that question. So, here's how I got the nickname. So, I'm on the staff at WAER. I'm it's it's an, a typical Thursday afternoon, whatever day of the week it was, and we would do uh, you know, those 90-second sports casts during uh, the programming, you know. And so I was already on the staff and I was delivering my cast that afternoon. And if you've ever done sports casting, if you write sports flashes, you know, you write them up and then you kind of You know, you time them out and you read them aloud, make sure that you don't have any tongue twisters in there. You know, you just kind of work it out before you deliver it on the air. You know, so it's the craft of writing and practicing and then going in the booth and actually delivering it live. So I was getting ready to deliver my live sportscast and all of the freshmen and sophomores were lining up because we had this thing every week where you met with the personnel director. okay, who was another student who would listen to your tapes, either your cast tapes, if you were trying to get cleared to do casts or your play by play tape. If it were basketball season, lacrosse season, football season, they would listen to a segment of your tape, something that you had recorded earlier in the week or the prior weekend, and then they would critique it. And that's how you get on the staff as you go through this process of basically getting beat down over and over and over again. And then finally, the sports director clears you. And now you are allowed to start doing games. You're in the rotation now. So I was already in the rotation. The young freshmen and sophomores were waiting to be heard, trying to get into the rotation and my buddy just walked into the room. I was reading my sportscast aloud and practicing. And this around the elbow of this room, because it was like a long ha- hallway that had like a right angle down to the to the personnel director's desk um, were these youngsters. And he just pointed at me, and goes, you're a man child. And I just kind of looked over and said, I don't get it. What are you talking about? He says, you're a man child. I was like, OK. You know, and he and I said, can you just explain what it is that you're trying to say? <laughs> a man among children. And I just kind of turned and looked and I saw all the young freshman, sophomore faces. <laughs> Remember, I'm 10 years older. I'm already a grown man, so to speak. And the whole staff looked at me that way. I was the only grown man on the staff while these guys were all out partying and going crazy. Guess what the man child was doing? Studying his charts, you know, getting his <laughs> next thing right. Because this was this was career for me. This was no fooling around. You know, I didn't come to Syracuse to, to party. You know, that wasn't the reason I was there anyway. So not that I didn't have some fun in college, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a complete stick in the mud, but to those guys, I probably was. So, uh, so it was my friend, Rhett Lewis, uh, who's no longer in the business was the one who screamed that out. And then literally I come in the next day for my shift and like, I run into one of the other staffers and he's like, Hey, what's up, man child. I was like, huh? Right. And then okay, no, all right, whatever. You know, and then I, I come in the next day and like two other guys. Hey Manchild, what's up, Manchild? Then the whole staff is calling me Manchild. So I lose my first name, Jim. Nobody's calling me Jim. Nobody's calling me Jim Lurch. Nobody's calling me Lurch. They're all just calling me Manchild. I was like, All right, I guess this is mine now. I guess I better just own it and move on. So that was it. That's what it was all about. A man among children.
0: Yeah, it's almost setting me up. The next few questions, like the myths of the man child this is what it's going to feel like because there's going to be some questions i'm going to ask you and you're going to feel like maybe even at times uncomfortable that you're going to be giving yourself credit for this because these are truly central new york myths that i'm going to get after and what involves this timeline you just touched on there so you get a professional job but maybe my timeline is off i thought you were a part of a local news station as a sports reporter and i'll ask this question is it true that you invented friday night lights here in central new york i say here as if i'm still living there but like the rumor is you were the one who brought the true high school football coverage to the central new york area is that a myth
1: um it's not completely a myth uh so here's how it went so i graduate in december um i've got this little part-time gig with the syracuse crunch i'm in the professional world now Uh, i'm looking for television jobs because i was more interested in doing television than radio at that point my crunch gig was a radio gig however and uh and i uh came across a job uh, that was available at channel nine. And I thought that they had already hired it because the job was out there for a couple of months. Uh, their weekend sports director, Jack Morse had retired and they were looking for a weekend sportscaster. So, uh, so I applied for the job. I called over and I spoke to their sports director and I said, I just finished my tape. You know, literally I'm just got out of college. I just finished my tape. I have something I'm willing to send you um, is the job filled yet? Or can I send you my tape? And he said, as a matter of fact, I'm taking home tapes this weekend. And, uh, if you get it over to me, if you hand deliver it to me by four o'clock, I'll take it home with me. I was like, what? Sure. Okay. I'll be right over, you know, literally, you know, got a, my jet engines on my car and, and rushed over to channel nine and handed him my cover letter, my resume and my tape. Here you go. And so there were probably hundreds of people that applied for that job. And my tape, because of the timing of it, went in the pile of the finalists, And got taken home that weekend. So me and about five or six other people went home to be viewed. Everyone else was in the trash at this point. And somehow I moved to the front of the line just because I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And maybe said a few things that maybe intrigued uh, their sports director. And so he took the tapes home that weekend. And that's how I ended up getting the job at Channel 9. He liked my tape. He watched it actually with his, I think at the time, 17, 18-year-old son. And his son really liked me too. He says, I like that guy. And so because his son and him watched it together and somehow gave me the green light, I end up you know, at the front of the line, right? From nowhere to the front of the line. And so a couple of more brief interviews, and I get the gig. And so I'm hired at Channel 9. And so there's three of us at Channel 9. The guy who was the weekday producer got pushed into the weekend job, and they actually asked me uh, the job that was being offered to me was uh, essentially executive sports producer. So I'd be working with the sports director every day, writing his cast. I'd do some reporting and I'd be the fill in anchor. And that's how I started at channel nine. And so that was cool and that was good with me. I was perfectly comfortable with that job and I loved that I was working Monday to Friday instead of having to work the long weekends, right? That's always a sacrifice yeah. that a lot of people in TV make. They become the weekend anchor and you got to stay there for a while before you can get to the sports director job, maybe even change markets because those sports director jobs are hard to come by, right? And so uh, I was happy to have the nine, you know, a little bit, not nine to five, but to have the Monday to Friday gig, you know, it was more like one in the afternoon to midnight. Okay. That was really, that's pretty typical in the regular TV world, the Local TV world for sports people. So I took the gig. And then I I did, uh, you know, start doing various things for the station on my reporting. And one of the gigs that I got uh, assigned to was a uh, an athlete of the week piece where we went out and found good athletes who were also excellent students showed excellent leadership ability. uh, And we would um, do uh, a, a full-length a feature piece on them and give them a trophy and award. And we actually named that award after the weekend anchor who had just retired to make a job available for me, Jack Morse, we call it the Jack Morse award. And so, because Jack was at channel nine for, I don't know, like 40 years or something. He was the weekend anchor there forever. So, and Jack had a nice uh, connection, I think, with the high schools over the time that he was there. I didn't know him very well because as he was leaving, I was coming in, but I had heard about him. And so, uh, so that kind of got me into the high school circles. And then uh, we started talking about doing uh, a show that included a uh, You know, football and basketball highlights, in particular football, and most of the local teams play on Friday nights, as you know. So uh, Dave Donovan, who was the weekend anchor, had talked about doing this. And I think that probably, you know, I don't want to take credit away from Dave because I think Dave was kind of doing some semblance of this uh, before I arrived. But because I was the Monday to Friday guy working alongside the sports director, um, I ended up landing the gig. There's a little more depth to that story, but I think there's enough here to just explain it. I end up landing the gig as the Friday night, you say lights, we called it Friday Night Fever. That was the name that we gave it and we created all these uh, graphics for it. And they still call it Friday Night Fever uh, over on Channel 9. So, yeah, it was a big part of birthing that. And the big thing for me was that I wanted to be an ad libber. I wanted to kind of, you know, shoot from the hip a little bit. I wanted to do what Warner Wolf did in television in New York when I was a youngster. You know, I followed all those young, all those New York sportscasters and Warner Wolf just loved to do goofy stuff. He would throw cue cards over his shoulder. He would, you know, hold up scores and then, you know, trash him or not. He would, he would just do silly stuff. And of course he had the big line, let's go to the videotape. That was his big thing. Right. And so Warner was just a very playful guy. And I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be the fun sportscaster. I want to be the playful guy. And so when I was given that Friday night fever anchoring gig on Friday nights, I just embraced it. And I said, I'm going to do it differently uh, than I've ever seen it done before and I did I guess would be kind of the equivalent of you know what a lot of the Sports Center anchors eventually started doing you know what the with what Patrick and Oberman used to do just just the silly the goofy the being willing to ad lib I asked the anchors to all sit on the set with me when I did Friday Night Fever and just say stuff to me like react that I might say things to them in the middle of the highlights and I just wanted them to just naturally react to laugh to giggle to comment and not worry about bothering me because we were there to just entertain an audience. And it took a number of weeks for the the rest of the crew to kind of buy in. But when they did, it started to become a lot of fun. And I don't think it was a lot of fun just for me. I think it was a lot of fun for the audience. And it was a lot of fun for the anchors who were participating as well.
0: I think it's important also to offer up some perspective here of the time. And we're talking about the mid-90s at this point. So you reference like Sports centers hot right now. This is Friday Night Fever, something that's never been done before in that central New York area. You are having more fun than you could even imagine because yep. you're kind of basically, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the guinea pig of, I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to have as much fun as we can while we're yep. doing it. And with that being said, how you're doing it in a unique style, you're showing off your personality, you're having fun. This is, in the sports landscape, we're talking about sports media now at this point, of the emergence of sports talk radio. Like mm-hmm. WFAN had sports talk with Mike and the Mad Zone, but really like – the mid to late nineties is when this starts to grow and it starts to move towards a local level, which presents you with a unique opportunity because 620 and others are starting to grow. Kind of take us through that timeline of how it seemed to be television, but this is slowly starting to come into what radio is going to look like in central yeah. New York.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. As a matter of fact, if I just step back just a little bit further, um, back to the end of my uh My tenure in college, the last thing I did before I left WAER, even though I did not take the sports director job, was I helped WAER through a big written proposal and inevitably creating something. I said to them, we have all these staff members and we're just doing play by play and these little, you know, 90 second sportscasts. Why don't we do some talk content? Talk radio is red hot. And so I literally put a proposal through to the college hierarchy and got approved, essentially, the first ever talk program at WAER. And that's a legacy that I've actually left behind. I handed it off to, of all people, Adam Shine, who you might be familiar with down in the New York City area. And Adam took it and ran with it. You know, I handed it to Adam and then Adam continued to carry the torch. And they now do uh, still continue to do talk radio on WAER. And they had never done that. Uh, before I had arrived. So that was kind of cool to leave something behind, even though I didn't take that sports director job. So now fast forward to where you're saying I'm at channel nine. I'm there for like five years. Um, my boss at that point, isn't going anywhere. I'm ready now to move up to the next level. So I was looking at TV jobs in other markets. I was actually very close uh, to landing a job in Orlando, Florida. I was one of two finalists. I thought I was going to get the job and didn't. It was very disappointing. And right off of that disappointment, Adam Shine, my buddy, who was, you know, took over that talk product and then actually graduated from school while I was at Channel 9 and started his own talk show on Sports Radio 620, all right, gave me a call, all right? My my the guy that was under me now called me and said, "Hey, I got an interesting gig here that I think you might want." And I was like, "Okay, what is it?" He says, "Over here at the radio station I work at, they're looking for a program director." I was like, "What is that?" You know, and he was trying to explain it to me and I was like, I don't know if I'm experienced in that area, you know, and he's like, no, you have all the right tools. I'm telling you right now, you're perfect, perfect for the job. I was like, I don't think so, Adam. I'm really looking for TV. I just came off a disappointment. I almost had this job in Orlando. You know, I just think I want to keep beating the bush here and try and move up in market size, see if I can get something in a bigger market. He's like, no, I'm telling you, man, this is a perfect job for you. Come interview for it, man. You get nothing to lose. Let me put you in touch with the two guys who are hiring the position, yada, yada, yada. I ended up doing four interviews with these guys. Three times I said no to them. went back a fourth time, and my wife at the time was with child getting ready to deliver child i think it was only like a month away my first and only child my son isaiah who's now 19
0: what? and uh yep he's oh. 19
1: and in college we can talk about that if you want. yeah you are getting old uh, so am <laughs> i so am i and uh yeah ch- children will will show your mortality more than anything else in your life you will find that out guys all right you will, you will find out how mortal you are you are not immortal i am not immortal no one is immortal children will show you that you will see how fast they grow and that just shows how old you're getting uh but anyway uh where was I? Uh, so uh, I. Uh, Zay's
0: going to get bored. Zay's on the way, basically. Yeah,
1: Zay's on the way. And and I, I go for interview four. And I say, my wife is about to deliver, you know, starting a new job right now. I, you know, I have a, you know, I have a, a, I knew it was a boy. I have a son on the way. He's going to be here in a couple of weeks. Like, I, I, I just don't know if this is the right time for me to be changing jobs and even thinking about this. And I said, how about this? We will let you take as much time off as you need when your wife delivers that baby, and then you can start work for us when you're ready. I was like, what do you mean as much time as I want? As much time as you want. Want to take a few months? Take a few months. Maybe during that time, the only thing we might ask of you is to come to a few meetings, do a few things, work a little bit from home, but no coming into the office. You, You can just stay home and raise your child. I was like, what? You know, and I was going to get like, I don't know, two weeks from Channel 9 or something. I was just saved up all my vacation. You know, I don't even know if dads at that point were even getting any leave time. So I was just, you know, I was going to get a couple of weeks and I was going to be like, sorry, honey, I'll see you after work. You know, (laughs) so I know she wasn't feeling too good about that. And uh, I was like, boy, that's an incentive. I was like, really? You guys would do that, huh? And they're like, absolutely, you know, and so I took them up on their offer, and so I took a few months, uh, and so I accepted the job and took the job and and kind of worked out the pay structure until I came into the office full time, and I got a chance to kind of, you know, be around to at the beginnings of raising my son, which was important to me, so that was pretty cool, and that's why I ended up taking the gig in radio.
0: Amazing story, and now I have to pull up this graphic on our visual sign because I wrote Shine Myth here because. Again, this is the stuff I grew up with. Not to age you and Adam, and I've told mm-hmm. you this before, so you won't feel as bad. Like mm-hmm. as a central New Yorker, I listened to Bud and the Manchild, which you're gonna get to in a second, and primetime Adam shine is what he mm-hmm. called himself back yeah, yeah. then. And again, yeah. I'm a kid who's watching McNabb and these great Syracuse teams going to pop Warner or football practice. And my dad realizing, wait a second, I can do this as a job. They're talking about my teams, and those are the shows I grew up with. I thought the story was you had heard Adam on like a lacrosse post-game show, and he had a Long Island. And downstate accent, and you guys, there's no truth to like you hearing None. Adam and hiring him. Okay, that's a myth no. that I thought I had heard. Adam
1: had the gig first. As a matter of fact, I I probably want to. You know, you say you make mistakes, and you, you know, I think I, I actually made a mistake um, when I was hired as the program director. Adam was the afternoon drive host, right? He, like I said, kind of convinced me to do the interview and then be hired. So I'm being hired essentially as his boss, and so. I take the job and Adam's there. Well, within a couple of months, I'm going to say less than six months, Adam gets offered work down in New York. Uh, I think initially for WFAN and some other things, he eventually lands a gig with the NFL network. As we know, I think he's still working for the NFL network and now he's even doing CBS TV. So I think he's still doing uh, some, as well. some, yep. some connection of all of that, right? Serious XM. And yeah, so Adam, Adam has, has very much moved into that world and and done a phenomenal job. But Adam's just a couple of months after I take the job, this is, you know, I got a gig in New York and I think I'm going to be leaving. I'm like leaving. You convinced me to come here. Are you crazy? You can't <laughs> leave. You're the afternoon drive host. How old is Adam, by the way, for those? know, He's like twenty three. isn't Oh, he yeah. He's a yeah. But he was a big hit when he yeah, got out. No of. Doubt. You know, he loved talk. That was one of the reasons why after I created the talk product at waER I handed it off to him for the next year. I said, you're here for another year and a half, please like take this thing and run with it. I know you love talk. I got this thing launched for you. I've done all the legwork. Like take it to the next level, man. Make it something that's going to stick forever. And he did. I owe Adam for that. I mean, he he did a phenomenal job of of making that talk product important to WAR so much that they're still doing it today and provides a lot of opportunity for students, you know. A lot of students don't know. I started that whole thing. I mean, maybe someone else would have eventually. But it's kind of nice to leave a legacy behind, you know, for to sure. leave something behind that you created. So uh, so, yeah, so that's the real story. That's the real. And Adam, so Adam's going to leave. And I say to him, Well, I mean, can't we work something out? You know, like, how about like, I'll hook you up down in New York and you can get an ISDN line down there, which is technology for radio, uh, makes you sound like you're in the studio. And you can like do the show until I get another guy for afternoon drive. Like, I got to, this is going to be a search. I got to find the right person. You know, how about y- can you do the show from home for a little while while you're working your other gigs? you know? And he was like, all right, all right, all right. And so we did that for a while and I dragged him through it. And I'm sorry that I did. Adam, I owe you an apology if you watch this. Okay. The man child made a mistake. I should have let you go. I should have let you do your own thing. Uh, I just panicked it. Like, what am I going to do without Adam? And of course we survived, you know, and as a matter of fact, not only did we survive, but you know, we, you know, it, it helped me create my talk show, but in the man child, which you know, still in some semblance now, Bud retired a few years ago, is still on the air now almost 20 years. Um, you know, it, it, it helped launch another uh, local host here in central New York um, who's still on the radio as well. Uh, you know, it was just a, a really positive thing when it was all said and done. But I won't lie to say that I kind of dragged Adam along for a while and then just saw that he just he didn't want to do it anymore. And I was like, all right, man, get out. And it's cool. Like you're out. I don't know why I did this to you. I just, you know, I just panicked, I guess, whatever. So Adam did leave and we f- figured out afternoon drive and we did a good job at that station for a long, long time before they finally changed formats
0: on the block with Brent X, by the way. Brent X, yes. by the way, who you're talking that's about who that's you the hired. other person, right? That's the yeah. other person. And, I, and I'm not trying to get anything away from the X, man. I would love to ask about that story, but I kind of want to go. If X wants to come on, we'll let him tell his side <laughs> of that story. Sure. I want to talk about Bud and the manchild, especially now again taping in 2021 what has happened in the sports radio landscape in particular is that the history of the dan lebitard show with Stu Gotz has come out where Stu gotts is a program director john wiener is his real name but mm-hmm. he is looking for a local journalist a local columnist to join the radio side of it right and he hires dan Lebetard in miami now they're getting paid 50 million dollars by yeah, DraftKings. well good. far before that Another program director hires a local journalist and columnist to Mm -hmm. come on the radio. Take us through. And I feel like this might be an episode in its own right if we could ever figure out how Bud can do Zoom, which might be a struggle in its own right. But (laughs) how did you figure out the idea of Bud and the man child? You'll hear man child's answer to that question soon. But before he gives it to you, if you're supporting this podcast by listening, we ask that you also continue to support our great partners that make this podcast possible. And we're talking about our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Selection is king this summer. If you've got a vehicle you've been taking on these vacation road trips and you think, is it going to break down? This is not the car I want to be driving around and taking to family events and showing off to my friends and more. This summer is the time to make that change. And it happens in Mohawk Honda. You trade in your vehicle, you get the price back that you deserve for your ride, and then you drive off the lot, with a new ride, thanks to Mohawk Honda. I know it from experience my pilot love driving around the capital region now you can find the ride that fits your lifestyle your job your travel and more mohawk honda wants to help you shout out to the harrodin family doing this for decades plus here in the capital region my i McKenna, McKenna who helped me out with my vehicle greg johnson more the entire staff make sure to follow them on social media you can check out the previews of some of their new inventories more right on their facebook twitter instagram everything you want mohawk honda is the place for you this summer, selection is king when you're training in your vehicle or trying to find the best ride you've ever had in your life, like me. Your response, Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Now, back to getting there with Goss and Manshall, telling his story about his career.
1: Well, basically, uh, it was pretty simple. I mean, we, you know, the, the, my bosses uh, said, All right, we got to figure out this afternoon drive thing. Uh, I went out there and I did find Brent. Uh, So that was one thing. And it was interesting. I was just actually driving out to Turning Stone one night with a buddy, a college buddy of mine who had come into town. And he was just flipping through channels. And Brent was doing a show in Utica at the time. And we picked them up about two thirds of the way out to Turning Stone because you're getting out towards Utica when you're heading out you know, towards the Oneida Indian Nation there. And I was like, hey, this guy's not bad. And he's like, hey, man, you're looking for an afternoon piece of afternoon drive here, aren't you? Why don't you? Talk to this guy. I was like, yeah, maybe I will, you know, and then I looked him up online. And, you know, we had those little radio bios on the old websites back then. And it said that he was he went to Bishop Ludden High School and he was from Syracuse. I was like, oh, this guy's is, is local. He's going to want to come home. I'm going to bring him. I'm going to rescue him from Utica and bring him <laughs> to Syracuse. Who wouldn't want to do that, man? You know, probably a little bit better pay. You know, you're coming back home. He probably has family here. Come on. He's come back to his high school buddies. Who wouldn't want to do that? And so Brent obviously did like that idea. And once we negotiated a salary and whatnot, then he was down with it. But while that was all going on, actually a little prior to that, um, my bosses said, well, why don't you, you know, fill part of that void? And I was like, I don't know if I want to do talk radio like every day. I've got this big job program director. Like, that's a lot. You know, I'm sitting in meetings. You know, you don't understand doing a talk show is prep, a lot of prep, especially if you do it by yourself. And, uh, so I was like, all right, I'll think about it. Let me, let me think about it. I'm trying to come up with answers. And I went home that night and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but you know what? If I get a partner, then half the work will be taken care of. I'd only have to do half as much. Work. <laughs> and, and you know what I've gotten. And, and then Brent kind of comes along and I go, you know, and I've got this other guy, we could split up that four hours of afternoon drive. I think Adam was doing all four hours. We can split it up to two chunks of two hours. And I can do two of the hours with the partner, half as much time. And then with a guy working with me, now I'm down to a quarter of the work. Right? <laughs> and then I could give Brent, theoretically, the other two hours. And I think he was already doing a two or three hour show out in Utica. So he's going to consider that pretty much what he's been doing. And that's what we did. And so we split afternoon drive three to five and five to seven. Bud and I were doing the later piece and Brent was doing the earlier piece. And how I landed on Bud was simple. I just said, I got to find a partner. And I said, I want to find somebody who can be a bit of a storyteller. Uh, I want to find somebody who has a better Syracuse history than I do, because I had only been in Syracuse as a college student. You know, I was a St. John's fan when I grew up in Queens. uh, So I knew of Syracuse, but I wasn't really steeped in Syracuse history. So I needed somebody who had that. And I needed somebody who had opinions and my thought was, well, a columnist, that's what they do, right? They write from the heart, right? They write what's on their mind. They're not, they're not writing game stories anymore. They're writing opinion pieces. So wouldn't that be good? And so there were two columnists in the market, Bob Snyder and Bud Poliquin. They both worked at the Post Standard. Well, Snyder was older than Poliquin. And uh, I don't know, dare I say, a little less hip to me. I don't know if that's true or not. But, you know, I just thought Bud would be the better person to talk to first. And so I sat down and talked with Bud. We had a little lunch together, and I said, "Hey, you want to make a little extra money? Would you be willing to do this? we can work it, or, can we work it around your newspaper schedule?" And we figured it out, and I hired him. That was that. It was the- one meeting. Bud and I had one meeting, and then I just had to figure out salary, and that was it. It was that simple.
0: The longest running sports talk show in the history of Syracuse, unless somebody beats it at some point. But right now, the bars have that- been set by Bud and the Manchild on a different variation of stations across. At one point, Manchild, I'm going to have Bud figure out how to work this software, and I want to do a whole history of Bud and the Manchild, so that <laughs> might be an episode down the line, because I feel like you and I could do two hours on yeah. all the things that have changed and all that, so I'm going to pass. I have the theme song banner ready to go. I had so many questions about it, but I'm going to pass and just kind of put on the history of you. Changes start to happen in the entire radio business in Big January time. of 2009 in particular. Again, we saw this with a new president, with different things, January... Take us through what happens for your career, January 09, and what happens after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, January 09, kind of a dark time. Really, I would say almost the year leading up to it, Just things just didn't feel right in radio uh, where I was working at Clear Channel. Big national company owns more radio stations than any other company. It's now iHeartMedia, for those of you that don't know. That's what Clear Channel has become. And there was just a lot going on in the business where they were starting to automate more programming. They were going away from local programming. Um, budgets were being cut. I was a program director the whole time I was there. I knew what was going on with the budgets. And every year I was seeing my budget shrink and shrink and shrink. And I was like saying to myself, they're not going to be able to afford me before too long. They're certainly not going to be able to keep Brent before too long. And so uh, really, uh, I think a year or so before 09, Brent was laid off, which broke my heart. He was my right hand man. He worked. His tail off. I brought him there and I felt responsible for it. And I tell you, during that year where he was gone and I was still there, you know, there was a lot of guilt coursing through my veins that I was, I still had a job and he didn't. He was trying to figure out his life. Now he did figure it out. So good for him. But it, it, it definitely broke my heart, uh, the way that that went down. And then inevitably a year later, guess what? It was my turn. You know, I was sat down and basically told, you know, sorry, we'd just, going in a different direction <laughs> you know the old line we're going in a different direction so I was like wow I mean gosh at that point I was probably I was programming two radio stations doing three hours an afternoon drive uh, one of those hours without bud um, and just uh, you know pushing myself to the limit from a work standpoint working you know 14 15 hours a day I mean I was I was working I had about seven different job titles there was nothing I didn't do I worked on the websites I worked in the promotions department I was the program director I was an on-hair host. I mean, it just went on and on and on. I was, at the time, the news director, because our news director left, and they didn't want to replace him, so I became responsible for this whole news product on WSYR radio. It was a lot of responsibility that was landing on my shoulders, um, probably too much when it was really all said and done, uh, but somehow, some way, they said, even this guy with all this responsibility and working as hard as he did, we got to let him go, so they let me go. And that was a big blow. I was like, wow, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, I'll just never forget that day. I'll never forget taking the box of my stuff out to my car, arriving home, putting that box down and then going, what do I do now? You know, it was a weird yeah. feeling. It's the only time I've ever been laid off in my life. Um, but it, it led to uh, a change in thinking. Um, and one of the things I discovered was, you know what? We had some paid programs that were on the radio that we treated very, very well. None of those people were laid off. None of those people were let go uh, because they were bringing in money, revenue, baby, not expense, but revenue. And so when I saw that, and then an opportunity came available with one of our competitors in the sports radio market and their program director, I read an article, he, he was quoted in the newspaper saying, we want more local programming. I was like, oh, do you really? So I called them and I said, do you really want more local programming? Because I got a show. It's only been off the air for six months. I think I could deliver it to you if you're interested. And he said, absolutely. I loved your show. And so that was how that was birthed. And I said, I'll do it only under one condition. I do not want to work for you. I do not want to be laid off by you. I do not want to be controlled by you. I want to own the show. I want to buy the time from you and I will pay you for it. And then you will trust me to do great content because I will do great content for you. You've heard the show before. Nothing's really going to change. As a matter of fact, hopefully it gets bigger and better. And I've been doing the show under that model now for, gosh, it's got to be about nine years now up the 20.
0: Think about that. That's the early 2010 decade where people who host podcasts and YouTube channels right now are like, wait a second. He was doing that ten years ago. Yeah, yes, it's true. yes. Manshall basically is doing what all a lot of podcasts and YouTube and TikTok, everybody who's trying to find a way to, I guess, to come through traditional media from a non-traditional standpoint. You had that idea, and I don't want to dive too deep into that because I always say this is another awkward part of the interview. Where it's like it's technically what you're doing now, so we don't have to talk about like that whole financial setup. But that's I yeah. think the best advice for. One of the many pieces of advice we'll give if you are somebody who is 19, 21, 22, think about what you just said, right? Where if you feel like your show on any type of platform is making money and you feel like there's another avenue or platform to put it on, that's what you do. And Why you not? do that already.
1: Correct. And I did. Now, I think it was an advantage for me at the time that I had an established show that people knew and were familiar with. It was on the air for 11 years. So the fact that I had something that I could offer. And that people were familiar with, I think helped me easily make that transition. Um, but I still say to a lot of the students that I teach nowadays, because as you know, I teach some college courses, um, you know, this is a possible route. You you must consider this. Now, it's a little hard to birth yourself into conventional radio out of nothing because you're asking for a lot of trust. Um, but you know, money talks as they say, and you know what walks, right? So, (laughs) you know, I mean, if you can raise the money, if you can prove that you can deliver a good product day in and day out, I don't see why any radio station would say no to you because you are revenue and radio stations are craving revenue. I have never been treated better as a radio host than in the last nine years as a revenue generator rather than as a revenue drainer. And that's a big, big lesson that I learned about radio. And it still, to me, holds today.
0: Yes. And now when you are running your own brand, when you are a revenue generator, you have decisions, you have responsibilities. It is truly the brand in your face. But there is a transition that is made. And this is something that I think some people will go through where they're like, "Okay, I thought I was going to do this, but this is working. I thought that happened, but they left. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's a long way to say Bud left, Bud retired, Bud went off, right? I think he's in Florida now hanging out, doing his thing. Well, had to he's make in Kenny Atlas
1: doing his thing. And oh, he's, he's in
0: skinny Atlas. I thought he was going to be a snowbird forever. That's a, that's a-
1: <laughs> no, but, he did, but he did buy a place now in Florida, so now he's six months up, six months down. He's up right now.
0: Nice. All right, so Bud is... Uh, Don, he retired. You have to make a decision. What's the future of the Bud and the Man Challenge show? Take us through that thought process and how a yeah, guy uh, the name you know, of Boyd Green is involved.
1: Yeah, you know what? I, I said to myself years ago, and I repeated it many, many times uh, to people over the years. My producers, uh, when Bud goes, I know he's older than me, I know he's gonna go first. I'm going to, I'm not gonna do this with anyone else. It's been too good a ride. It, it I, I, the first three months we did the show, it was horrible. And I was like, this is not This is not going to work. Audiences must hate this show right now. I went back, I was listening to it every night, and I was like, oh, that was so bad. Oh, You're boy, talking about the early Bun the Man show? Yeah, I'm talking about the early Bun the Man The first three months of our show, we just didn't know what we were doing. I mean, you know, I didn't know how to get anything out of him that was entertaining. You know, Yeah, we were talking sports and we were rolling out statistics and we were analyzing games in some way, but it just wasn't interesting. And I was beginning to have doubts. And then I discovered something. It was just weird and it kind of came out of nowhere. I started playing golf with them on Friday nights. Uh, at Green Lakes State Park, right here in good old Central New York, and uh, I met him and a bunch. I met a bunch of his friends. He introduced me to a bunch of his friends. They were all people that whose kids played little league together up in the Fayetteville uh, neighborhood of Syracuse. And so I met this group of I don't know about 20, 25 people, and we'd go out and play every Friday late afternoon, you know, around dinner time, and just play nine holes of golf. And I started meeting all these different people, and I started socializing with bud we'd have a beer afterwards sit up on the beautiful deck there and just chit chat and i started to learn weird quirky things about him and then i just started just talking about that stuff on air you know bud you were saying the other night you know that you've never had a cup of coffee in your life what's that all about you know and then it would just lead somewhere you know and so bud loosened up around the golf world would kind of tell stories of his life And I started picking up on it and comparing myself to him. And then it created this whole new dialogue that became very personal between the two of us, that we actually now knew each other as people because I was learning about him through these stories of playing golf on Friday nights. And that's when the magic happened. I remember that first tape I took home after like the first time it happened. It's kind of like a Howard Stern's movie, right? Where he, he does that crazy commercial, right? Yes. Uh, and and he realizes this is what I should be doing. It was the same thing. I took that show home that night. I was like, it seemed like there was a good bit there. And I took it home and listened back just like, oh, that was good. That was funny. <laughs> that connected. Oh, I like that. I got to do more of that. And then I just started sh- reaching for it, trying to find stuff, content, not in the sports world, you know, but in his personal life, and then tie it into sports. Say, how can you think that when you do that? How can you behave that way when you behave this way? You know, how can you have that mindset when your mindset is really over here? Because I heard you say that to your buddies. And so that kind of texture added to what really made the show tick? And I people that still compliment me on that show, that still miss Bud, that still talk about that show to me in public, always say, I just love the banter between you guys. I love the chemistry. And that was all discovered just by playing golf Friday nights with his buddies. It's crazy.
0: The stories that will come from that show, and I promise I'm going to pressure you to make this happen, from stuff of Bud hanging out at Jim Brown's house, <laughs> sitting in a car with Bill Russell. <laughs> You man, child, this is true. Mike Tyson sings you happy birthday on your birthday. Like, those are all real stories that happened on yeah. that show. So, yeah, so Bud's gone. You thought you were done. You thought the show was over. You had a good run. Yeah. And you were going to sail off to the sunset and continue your professor opportunities.
1: Well, like I said to you, you know, I mean, I was having so much fun still doing the show. And even though I knew Bud was leaving and I said I was never going to do it without him, I was like, you know, I'm still having a lot of fun doing this. And Boy Green, was a student of mine at Oswego. who's was in my class. He was a student that when we did this little talk radio live exercise, we do it in groups of three, he like stood out, like probably more than any student I've ever had. So much so that I said to him, hey, come see me after class. And I said to him after that very class, I said, have you ever done talk radio before? He's like, no. I was like, do you like it? He's like, yeah, I do. I was like, because you could be good at it. I thought you did a really, really good job with that. You were very unique. You stood out among your fellow students. Don't tell any other students I told you this, but <laughs> you stood out. Um, you ought to consider it. You ought to do a radio show here. Get on, you know, a WNYO, uh, the station up there at Oswego. Get, get, see if you can get a talk show. Do it with someone else if you want. Do it by yourself, but you could create content in talk. I think you might have a future in talk, in my opinion. And he was like, "Oh, thanks," you know. And then he calls me like two weeks later, or or maybe it was after class. He grabbed me and said, "Hey, you do a talk radio show, don't you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Do you take on interns?" I was like, uh, "Well, I haven't before, but I would." You want to come intern? He's like, "Yeah." So he intern, and he hung around for like two semesters, and then he and then uh, he said, "You know, he's getting out of school," and he said you guys have any Purdue, you have a producer or anything? And we did. And ironically, our producer was literally leaving like in two weeks and I didn't have anybody. And I was like, Hmm, you've interned. You kind of know the ropes. You want to be our producer. So he came on as the producer and he hung as the producer for another year or two. And then bud, you know, I'm, the writing's on the wall. I see bud's going to retire. And I'm like, I don't know. Should I give the kid a shot or should I try and find somebody else? So I want to keep doing this thing by myself. I never had the desire to do a show by myself. I just don't find it nearly as interesting. I don't like talking to the walls. I like having dialogue like we're having now. So I just, that's just the way I gravitate. I'm a big fan of the two man show over the one man show. And there are people out there that do it incredibly well. Rome's been doing it for years. People like Cowherd. There are others that do the solo show. I just don't like it. I just don't find myself to be as compelling as uh, interesting. I, I just like time to think between, you know, between things. I I like to be able to sometimes just ad lib in a different way and play off of somebody else. I think I'm better doing that. And so I, get, I said, if I'm going to keep doing this, I got to do it with someone else. And so I went to Paul, AKA Boy Green, a nickname I'd given him as an intern, as an intern when he was with the show. And I said, kid, I'm willing to give you a shot if you're interested. Co-host, what do you think? You know? And he was like, <laughs> "Absolutely, Are you kidding me?" So, and now Paul and I have been doing it over three years together. So, Bud's been out for three years. He still comes on the show once a week. Bud, as a matter of fact, he's on Tuesdays at eleven o'clock. If you want to listen to Brunch with Bud, he does about a half hour with us every single Tuesday. And he's still the same old Bud. Nothing's changed.
0: <laughs> yes, and shout out to Boy Green for doing that. I our guy Josh Murray's in the mix there at some point because he was producing an intern or another one mm-hmm. of your students at a single who produced my show and scored twelve sixty. So yeah, to Boyd Green, what you just said there, I haven't had the opportunity to listen as much as because I'm out East now, but the two things you just said that I noticed about him, one, extremely unique, and two, is a hard worker. He gets the Twitter, Kevin. the Facebook, he's going out and busting his thing, and you know what, to make sure it, the show sounds good, uh, 10 to noon on the score, 1260, still, right? The Man Challenge show with Boy Green didn't change times on you all of a sudden, right? Still 10 to noon? 10 to noon, yes sir. 10 to noon. I got two more questions for you. Most people consider these maybe the most important part because it's getting there with God. So the advice part, we talked about your professor opportunities. I'll be honest because I've told you this before so many times and so many people know me. I want to do the professor, the adjunct thing. So I'm going to be a little selfish here or other media members who may be looking for a new course. Best advice for professors who are teaching communications, media, whatever it might be. You've been doing it for a while. Best advice for professors entering that field.
1: Well, I mean, I think someone like you or I guys, I mean, we are going to enter it as what we call a practicalist. I mean, we've done it right for a living. So take those practical skills and create a classroom environment where you can say, okay, this may be... a simulation of some sort, but this is what we do in the real world. This is how we prepare. This is how we get ready to do a play by play. This is how we deliver play by play. This is how you do a talk radio show. So one of the courses I teach is sports broadcasting up at SUNY Oswego. And that course literally, it's a once a week course, three hours on the night that it's taught. So it's and it's like a long lab. I do like a mini lecture on the front of it. And then we actually perform the task that I kind of give them some guidelines to work around so whether that's the 60 second or the 90 second sports flash whether that's the talk radio show segment whether that's the play-by-play element where we'll go out and do live play-by-play in an event we do that every single semester although covid has thwarted us a little bit we've had to do it to video screens which has been interesting but you got to adapt right um doing uh, on on set tv sportscasts full sports cast like sports center several highlight packages putting that stuff together so those are, are just uh, among the few of the things that we do in that course. So it's it's taking those great skills that we've acquired and now showing people how to do it, how to figure how to how do you put their own spin on it, but how to go through the process of putting those things together. So that was uh, one uh, thing that I've learned. And I I just think you got to love working with people. I think for me, I love the idea of being able to help someone get somewhere in the business. I know how difficult the road was for me. I know I didn't end up on ESPN. I didn't end up the next Bob Costas, but I'm still very proud of the work that I've done and the path that I've taken. And I just think that there are a lot of people that would be very happy uh, to have done what I've done uh, and to have achieved what I've achieved. And so I'm just more than helpful to want to get them there or get them somewhere even beyond there. I have had many people that have either worked under me at the old sports station or uh, have interned with me who have uh, gone well beyond? Andrew Catalan is doing, you know, national play-by-play for the NFL nowadays. He used to intern with me for the Syracuse Crunch, my first job. He was one. He's of an Albany guy. Parents, okay, yeah, love it. I, I, I know reasons, you know yeah. Andrew. You know, uh, I told you my relationship with Adam Shine. Um, you know, Anise Schroff, who works for ESPN and does play-by-play for those guys. Mike Lissette, who continues to do TVs out in the Midwest right now in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but has been to many other big markets. Uh, Brian Chanaki, a former student of mine, who was a sports Anchor in Jacksonville for quite a while, also in Augusta, Georgia. So, uh, you know, it's just been a pleasure to just mentor people, to help people along the way, to answer their questions. And I think that's part of what a professor really does.
0: Now, the best advice to get where you are, if someone wants to follow your career path, although it is Far different than maybe what you would advise to a younger 18, 19-year-old. Best advice get where you are in your career.
1: I think nowadays, I tell a lot of my students now, um, I think the better route now, rather than, you know, I've come to this place where I don't work for somebody anymore. I just deliver content and I pay them and uh, I'm the rent and I'm the revenue. And, you know, I just go out there and create great content for them. So I think nowadays, especially with everything that's opened up in podcasting, video casting, um, just all these new avenues that have been created in the world of sports, I would create something from the ground up. I would create something from my bedroom, my living room, my basement and make good content and get it out there. Try and develop a following. Use social in the best way that you possibly can. And then that's a great way to get discovered nowadays. It's a great way to create your own resume tape. And then now you can send that out to people. You can say, look at what I've accomplished. And I birthed this from my basement. Listen to the thoughts that I have about said sports. Um, So find something you're passionate about, just like I did. Create original content and start there. Start in your own basement. It's not that expensive to get simple simple equipment that does a really nice job uh, where you can put out quality video quality audio and have something that you can just send in an email to someone and say check out what i'm doing man i'd love to work for you i I think that's the way to go nowadays rather than go work for conventional tv or radio station i just think it's a much more difficult path and i think you're going to suffer a lot more on that path than the other one
0: he is the man child jim lurch love his advice both professor and the stories. I'm telling you, keep your phone on. I'm gonna text you. We got a button the man child episode coming up soon. Thank you so much for doing this, especially Welcome. for somebody like me who is now here rehearing your story. How many things have now kind of hit me in the face that have you've had to face and the advice mm-hmm. you just offered there about a new platform? I needed to hear that. Hopefully, someone listening right now. Wanted to hear that same advice too that you offered up. Thank you so much for doing this, and you're not done with me. I'm going to keep
1: bothering you this fall. No, ple- uh, my pleasure, guys. Any Anytime. I'm always happy to come back on with you and give you what you want. <laughs> I hope I'm I delivered t- some of that. Yes,
0: I'm going to sit in the back of your class at Oswego one day too. I'm just going to hang hey, out and watch anytime. your class. You're welcome awesome. anytime, my friend. Appreciate anytime. it, man, child. 10 to noon on the score Good. 1260. All right.